Hi, this is Kate from ADHD Kids Can Thrive, and today I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Dr. Alexandra Morris. She's a clinical psychologist who's licensed to practice in New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. She specializes in DBT, CBT, parent management training, exposure and response prevention, as well as ketamine psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Her current clinical areas of interest are OCD and other anxiety disorders, mood disorders, sleep difficulties, and comorbid medical issues. Her mission in private practice is to help college students navigate young adulthood and children and adolescents overcome emotional and behavioral challenges. You can learn more about Dr. Morris at morriscbc.com. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Kate. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm well, your listener. Yeah, I'm interested. Okay, so I invited Dr. Morris to join us to give us a 101 basic education about what ketamine psychotherapy, what is it? Psychedelic, ketamine psychedelic psychotherapy is. What is it? And um, why do we need to know about it? What do we need to know and how is it possible for somebody to maybe use this as an intervention to help them um, do better in their life, right? Sure. Yeah. So I would think about psychedelic assisted psychotherapy as a treatment structure, right? And so currently the there's many different types of psychedelics. Currently, the only psychedelic um, that's actually not even one of the classic psychedelics is ketamine. It's the only one that is um, widely available for folks across the country and is legal, right? Outside of clinical research studies where um, primarily psilocybin and M. MDMA are being used because they receive breakthrough status as a therapy um, by the FDA. So right now, ketamine is the only thing that's legal. And um, there is a, a small exception in Oregon. Recently in January, there were some laws that were changed um, where uh, psilocybin um, is now available and legal. So psilocybin treatment facilities have been popping up. Um, but they're not fully operational yet. Um, so when we're talking about uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, it's really ketamine assisted psychotherapy. Okay. That's kind of available. It's FDA approved and it's available around the country. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah, but the, so it's most evidence-based for treatment resistant depression with um, suicidal ideation or SI, uh, a lot of people are also using it off-label for other treatment-resistant conditions like PTSD, anxiety, um, end-of-life anxiety for folks with terminal conditions, and then also substance use disorders. Okay. So it's used across kind of a lot of different mental health issues that people are trying to, to process. Okay. So let's start from the top. Like why are psychedelics changing, uh, the mental health field and medical science? 
Yeah, uh, people are getting really excited right now um, because the research is showing that psychedelics are poised um, to really target these treatment resistant conditions and, and symptoms that people are struggling with. Um, and they tend to do so in a way that's fast acting, um, can be longer lasting and can have less side effects than a lot of the traditional um, standard therapies um, that are currently available. Okay. And standard therapy is like medicine with therapy, right? Do yeah. the two and that's try to make yourself feel better, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, evidence-based treatment in, in terms of therapy could be something like CBT and CBT is a big overarching umbrella treatment. There are a lot of very specialized types of CBT like DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, and then for um, depression and anxiety disorders, PTSD, a lot of people are also using um, like psychotropic medication that's prescribed by a psychiatrist. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how does it work to help somebody who is struggling? Like what's the process? What could it look like? How is this working faster than traditional therapies? Yeah, so psychedelics as medications or substances are fast acting. So the mood enhancing, um, mood boosting effects are happening almost immediately. Whereas traditional antidepressants, for example, like SSRIs or SNRIs can take you know, up to six weeks to start working. So if a person is struggling with some severe depression or treatment resistant depression or suicidal thinking or suicidal gestures, you know, six weeks is a very long time or, right. you know, someone that has cancer and has a terminal diagnosis, they may not have six weeks to, um, to left, right. To wait, to reduce their suffering. So these are fast acting. Um, I think the other piece that's very exciting for people, um, is that with traditional, um, like psychotropic medications, like SNRI, SSNRIs or SSRIs, um, for the most part, people are taking them, you know, a pill or two pills, daily, depending on the dose and person, right? Daily for these longer periods of time or sort of indefinitely to manage conditions, right? right? And with psychedelics, you know, the treatment structure doesn't look like that, right? So, you know, there's different durations, there's briefer sort of time frames that a person um, would be engaging treatment and they can have some lasting benefits without that sort of daily regimen. Yeah. Okay. So how does a person, how do you administer ketamine? What does that look like? That's a great question. And that's when I think people think about, they're like, what does this really look like? Right. Right. So psychedelic assisted psychotherapy has a very distinct different structure than traditional psychotherapy, right? So we have prep sessions, right? So a person would meet um, with um, a medical provider and a licensed therapist. They would be getting a very thorough medical assessment, and then also psycho, uh, a psychological assessment that they would be a good candidate for this type of treatment because it's really not for everyone, 
right? So there's an assessment piece here. Um, we would be doing a lot of psychoeducation about what the process looks like, what therapy looks like, about the psychedelic treatment, all of that. And then there should be some very enthusiastic informed consent that a person understands and is agreeing to the treatment, right? Right. And then we're also doing, um, we're setting an intention and working collaboratively to problem solve and set um, behavioral goals for treatment and what they're hoping to get out of the experience. And so the prep sessions and the assessment are sort of the first part of that structure. And then the next part of that structure is sessions where the substance or medication is being administered. And so that's happening in, um, they have ketamine um, IV clinics, there's outpatient um, private practices or clinics that are set up. They're also, um, you know, more private practitioners like psychiatrists that are doing it in their private practice. And it's also happening in medical settings. Okay. So ketamine is delivered through an IV? Another really great question. So there are different preparations of ketamine, right? And okay. And they're different doses. So there's low dose, there's like a moderate dose, and then there are higher doses. And it can be in the form of there's a ketamine nasal spray called S-ketamine or Spravato. There's lozenges that people can use that you put in your mouth and dissolve. There's IM ketamine or intramuscular injection. So they, they inject it. And then there are ketamine IV infusions that you would get um, in an infusion center, an infusion clinic. So it, it really varies where you're going and what provider you're, you're working with. Um, and then your symptom severity and working collaboratively with your provider to come up with a treatment plan that makes sense. Okay. So a person takes the ketamine and then they go into therapy? Is this because the ketamine like relaxes them to a state that they may not be able to get to on their own? Yeah, so there's there's two parts of the therapy. So there's the actual administration. So during the administration, they're in a very comfy, cozy, supervised, very curated setting, right? And so there's Met, there should be some medical monitoring because um, there could be some rare instances where a person could have some type of medical event. So there's usually um, a physician, a nurse practitioner, um, a PA that's a, that's available for medical monitoring. And then there's a, a licensed therapist that supports a person and they have their experience what that looks like can vary greatly depending on the dose. So some folks are receiving a, a very low dose and are very oriented sort of to their surroundings or can, you know, kind of hold a conversation. Other people at very high doses are in a dissociative state and um, they're just having their experience, right? And you're there for support and guidance. So that's, that piece is very different. There's follow-up um, therapy sessions that are called the integration sessions where a person is not 
um, being administered the substance where they're sort of processing that experience um, and using it hopefully as a catalyst for behavioral change. Okay. So is it, is it, ta- it does it relaxing you enough that you're willing to like tap into what your internal struggles are, what are their trauma, things that you're holding on to? Does this kind of help you open the door to that to kind of let it out? Like what is the psychedelic doing? Yeah. So it's all of those things. So there's, there's mood enhancing effects, right? Okay. Right. So So you feel better, right? You're feeling better. It's hopefully improving your symptoms, but you know, with a lot of these treatment resistant disorders or treatment resistant symptoms, there's a a common thread of, you know, a lot, a tremendous amount of avoidance, right. That can happen in a person's life, especially if you had trauma or PTSD, it can be avoidance of thoughts, memories, maybe physical sensations, maybe things in their life or their environment, right? Maybe their their sense of, of how they're feeling in their body. There's a lot of avoidance, right? Yeah. Um, there can be a lot of very rigid or very negative thinking, right? That can yeah. happen. Um, people carry around, uh, you know, with any of these disorders, including substance use, a tremendous amount of self-loathing or shame, mm-hmm. um, it, you know. And so their- does the ketamine just help like release that a little bit? Kind of like, I guess it enhances your mood if you're feeling depressed, right? And then it helps you kind of release these things, the shame, the trauma, the pains that you've been avoiding, does it make that process a little bit easier? So I think it enhances our flexibility in thinking, right? A lot of these medications increase neuroplasticity, they believe increase neuroplasticity and increase um, flexibility in our thinking and new learning, right? They also tend to increase self-compassion, right? A lot of people can also with depression or uh, PTSD or trauma, a lot of people will describe this sense of they're going through their life on autopilot, right? They're really numbed and checked out or disassociating. And the psychedelics can be really, some of these medications can be really helpful at people tuning back in and increasing mindfulness in their life, you know, connection in their relationships. And some people will even report, you know, these bigger spiritual or transcendent experiences where they're feeling a greater sense of interconnectedness and meaning in their life and a reduction in, you know, their anxiety symptoms. Yeah. Okay. And then is this kind of treat, is it long lasting? Like if a person goes through this kind of therapy, how, how involved is it for how long, I guess is the question. Yeah. Everyone's asking that, including (laughs) the including the researchers and including the clinicians. And so there's so many different types of psychedelics, right? There, you know, just offhand, there's almost 10, right? 
And there's so many research studies being conducted on each individual substance. And for all of these, not only the disorders, sort of the top disorders that I listed, but a tremendous number of other disorders as well, that there's ongoing research like OCD, um, anorexia, just a a tremendous amount. Yeah. And so, you know, each research study has a different protocol, a different dose, right? They're targeting a different set of symptoms. So I think we'd all like some type of unified, very specific dosing duration frequency sort of protocol that that we can speak to. I don't think we're there yet, right? Okay. Yeah. And I think even with ketamine, that's widely available and becoming very popular, um, you know, and it is evidence-based in their guidelines, if you go to different providers and different clinics, right, depending on, on your symptom severity and the treatment plan you're coming up with your provider and what they offer, your treatment plan can look different from another person's, right? The dose Right, based on provider and maybe what your symptoms are, right? Um, yeah, what, you know, all of that, whatever the treatment plan is. So, you know, people are getting lower doses. Some people are getting higher doses. And again, the, the duration of treatment, the frequency um, can be very individualized and, and different. So why is the mental health field and medical science excited about all of this with so much variation in how people are being treated with it? Yeah, because I mean, a lot of people can do all the things, right? They can engage in evidence-based treatment, right? They can, you know, have adjunctive therapies like adding on medication management with really evidence-based psychotropics and can still struggle at times with with breakthrough symptoms or treatment-resistant symptoms, or maybe over the course of their life with depression, anxiety, substance use disorders can have a very sort of waxing and waning sort of course with a lot of these symptoms. Yeah. So I think for a lot of people, you know, researchers and clinicians, and then also the folks that are struggling and in so much pain, this is very exciting that, you know, there's something, uh, you know, they're, they're building a better mousetrap, so to speak, um, uh, targeting these symptoms and and helping people have lasting change. Yeah, that's great. I just read something that like a third of people who have depression um, are resistant to treatment or resist the treatment doesn't work. The standard treatment doesn't work for them. Yeah. And so, it's you know, a significant well, amount of people where it's not working with what we're doing today, what we have to offer, I guess. Yeah. In society. Absolutely. And, you know, having, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We don't want to just totally eliminate these really fantastic evidence-based treatments that have been standardized and have a very long history with safety. But it's very exciting that there is a potential for other adjunctive treatments for that segment of the population for where maybe these standard therapeutic protocols aren't sufficient at addressing their needs or their their suffering or their symptoms. Yeah. 
Okay. So if somebody has um, an addiction um, issue, substance abuse issue, Mm -hmm. could they be addicted to psychedelics? I mean, is that a risk? Yeah. So there's some nuance to that. So a lot of the classic psychedelics, and I'm going to give two examples. So psilocybin or LSD, right? Um, it's, it's believed and the research has shown that there is a low potential for addiction or physical dependence, right? And there's a lot of research now that's coming out that's showing that psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is, can be very helpful for substance use disorders, actually, right? With that said, though, right, we talked about psychedelics being this overarching sort of umbrella, and there are a lot of different substances and medications that can fall under that category, and ketamine is lumped in there. And ketamine historically has had an abuse potential, and so that's why there's some really um, rigorous and, and strict guidelines for the use of ketamine so people can maximize the benefits of the treatment, we can increase safety and reduce the risks. Yeah. Okay. So you work with young adults and adolescents who are all over social media and they're hearing about psychedelics on social media. Mm -hmm. They're learning about it. They're hearing about it. I don't think they're having this level of conversation on social media. Um, But I do have teenagers, young adults, and it's something that's being talked about. And I don't know at what level, um, because I try to keep that conversation with with my young adults high, right, Mm -hmm. at a higher level about how it can help. But what would a parent say to their um, child? So this is the podcast about parenting ADHD kids, right? And they are very much at risk of substance abuse. Um, and they're also probably being exposed to social media. So if you had a child who's maybe learning from the wrong sources about psychedelics, what should a parent be saying to their young adult or their teenager, where this might be an option for true treatment for them? So right now for teens, so those under 18, right, if they're experiencing depression, anxiety, these treatment resistant symptoms, they should be in evidence-based therapy, as I mentioned, like CBT or DBT, for example, and maybe even coordinating care or also getting a consult from a child and adolescent psychiatrist, right? Right. So psychedelics in children and teens you know, there's no evidence that that would be an appropriate treatment. It's not legal. We're not using, you know, psychedelics in children and teens. And so, you know, in, until they're 18, it's it's not even an option, right? So if they're talking about psychedelics, I would treat it just like you would any other sort of illegal substance, right? You wouldn't... Yeah. We wouldn't want your, you know, teen engaging in underage drinking or vaping or any type, you know, using cannabis products or any type of drug use. So I would sort of frame it in that way, right? There's a lot of risks for any substance use in teens. Um, And 
you know, there's a lot of concerning stories. Obviously, if teens are trying to, you know, receive these, like get these substances online, there can be a lot of risks, right? That they're, yeah. they're aware of. We don't even know what they're getting, right? right? And so it's that same conversation about substance use and that open dialogue with your teen that you would have about any other substances. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I do worry about, I just brought that up because I do think there's um, the medical community and mental health talking as adults about psychedelics. And I'm getting the sense that there's like a conversation happening on social media with younger people about what psychedelics can do for them and their mental health. And I'm not sure it's the most productive conversation happening. So I do bring that up with parents that this is probably something, if you do have a young person to add to your list of um, vaping and alcohol and weed, you got psychedelic conversation to be having with them as well. Absolutely. And, and no provider doctor is advocating for anyone to go and and get illegal substances, right? Even. Yes. No, I know. I know. But I think there's maybe this messaging that you can take psychedelics to help your mental health, just like they take Adderall to help them stay awake and do better on, you know, to keep them, you know, non-ADHD people taking Adderall. It's the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of buzz messaging that's kind of happening right now um, in young person's culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it can be more nuanced for young adults, right? Those that are over 18, right? Because they can, you know, go and get a consult with a provider um, that is using ketamine as an adjunctive therapy for things like treatment resistant depression. Yeah. And so, you know, finding a trusted, reputable, licensed provider, right? Um, They can have that conversation, or this potentially could be an effective treatment for them if, you know, the treatment they've been engaging in hasn't been helpful. Yeah, that's good to know. Okay. So, anybody listening, what if you wanted to find a provider to ask them questions about is this right for your, um, person in your life that's struggling, is there like a a place to go or do you just start Googling? Yeah, I, I don't personally know of any overarching organization or, um, database that families could go to, to, to find a provider in that way. Um, but there are ketamine um, clinics that are, you know, throughout the United States, individual um, psychiatrists are now incorporating um, ketamine treatment um, into their, their practices as well. So outpatient providers or outpatient clinics, some hospitals have programs now as well. Um, are there flags that as a parent you should be looking for? Is this like really a real, is it very, is it regulated well? Or yeah, I mean, do you have to be careful as a person, like looking for someone to help you? Maybe if you wanted to explore this treatment, are there any flags that we need to be aware of? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not really concerned with medical-based settings where we have licensed physicians, licensed therapists of all kinds doing 
comprehensive care, right? Ketamine assisted psychotherapy, right? And it's kind of meeting this, this gold standard of guidelines for this new emerging treatment. What I get really concerned with, you know, being on social media myself, I am even inundated with these ads for retreats of all different kinds in countries where, um, you know, the laws are a bit lax, right? And so they're saying, hey, you know, this stuff is legal, you know, this is going to be a a great, you know, transformative experience. And people don't realize, um, you know, you can have a medical or a mental health emergency, right? I would never want to have that or a loved one or these are psychedelic retreats outside of the United States. Oh yes, oh, this is okay. This, there's a there's a huge rise in psychedelic tourism right now. Um, that's that I think is very concerning. So, you know, there you can pay thousands of dollars and go to different countries for these um, psychedelic retreats of all kinds, um, and that's concerning because you don't know. You know, are these licensed providers? Are they you know following? safety guidelines? Is there medical monitoring? You know, are, what if a person has a a medical event or again, when a a mental health crisis of some kind of psychiatric emergency, and now you're having to navigate, you know, the medical system or ER in another country. So that's very concerning to me. Um, There's a lot of accounts that I've been, that I've been privy to, where women are being exploited or, or sexually assaulted in, in settings like that. So, you know, for young adult women, like that's, that's a concern, especially since this is trending, Uh, you know, a lot of college students aren't realizing that. Um, And there's another aspect to it that I feel like it really isn't talked about enough. So there are indigenous people and cultures that use these psychedelic substances that come from plants in medicines, in sacred rituals, in religious ceremonies, right? And with this rise of psychedelic tourism, we have, you know, a very privileged class of people going to other countries and potentially exploiting or appropriating these cultures or depleting their natural resources. Um, so that's oh, wow. a, yeah, that's a concern too. I mean, I know I would never want to be a part of that. And I hope, you know, others think about that aspect as well. Absolutely. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a brave new world. out there. It's Kate. a brave new but- world. Okay. So I really appreciate your time today, educating us no, because this you. has just been a wealth of information, um, on a topic that is definitely becoming a very hot topic, um, across the board. So I appreciate you educating us today. Oh, thank you. I I'm happy to be here. And I think in the next, you know, two, three, four years, there's going to be a lot of changes, um, in this area in the field. And do you think it's going to go beyond ketamine? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. So um, I'll have I, to have you back and like be updating <laughs> us over time, like keeping um, us all in tune with what's going on. It's pretty amazing. 
It is. I would love that. I, I think the next two that are going to come online and, and be more widely available just with the research and the grassroots advocacy and a lot of um, changes to legislation are psilocybin and MDMA that historically was actually used in therapy before it was made illegal. So um, those are two that are poised to really um, start popping up in terms of treatment facilities soon. Okay, good to know. All right. Thank you, Dr. Morris.